0: Hello, friend, and welcome to the Chronically Well podcast. I am Kelly Hunter, your host, and today I am interviewing Adrian Lemberger. Adrian has survived acute myeloid leukemia and bronchial obliterans organizing pneumonia. I am not going to try and say all of that again, but he will talk to us about it today about the process of going through that as a new dad, newly single sitting in a hospital room by himself and recovering from a really aggressive cancer that took over his body so quickly. But you're going to love Adrian. You're going to love what he has to share about music and his band and being a father and surviving. So stick around. I think you're going to really enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chronically Well podcast. Today, my guest is Adrian Day. Um, Adrian is a front man for Even Thieves. He is a dad to Cosmo, and he also has had leukemia. And so we're going to talk about his story as a human being. And also, as someone who struggles with illness and has struggled with it, so thank you, Adrian, for being here today. Okay, so let's hear a little bit about who Adrian is. Like right now, what do you do? Where do you live? Who are those people in your life that you love?
1: Sure. Who's um, I live in I live in uh, Chicago. I've been yeah. here for I think I moved here just after I turned twenty five. So two years ago. I'm kidding. Um, uh, uh, I moved here. Uh, I moved here.
2: <laughs> no one has to know Adrian. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I moved here about 17 years ago and, okay. um, I've been, I've lived in pretty much every, every small like part of Chicago for the most part kind of worked everywhere at a lot of different places. I moved here to do music basically. And, okay. um, okay. I started, I moved here after the band that I had in Madison broke up. And I started a band with a mutual friend from a band in Chicago. And we actually did really well. Mm -hmm. We toured with Hawthorne Heights and we toured with Bayside. And um, that was the same tour. And then we did another tour with this band, Lola Ray, Mm -hmm. and a band called Jameson Parker,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which I can say the Hawthorne Heights and Bayside tour was was definitely more successful of a tour. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I kind of have done music to some extent and worked within that um industry to some extent ever since. I worked at the Metro for a while. I worked at Subterranean for a that. while. I have a five year old son named Oh Cosmo. yes,
0: the son Cosmo. Um,
1: and um and he's with me half the week his mother and i split up when he was about a year and a half uh, we we split up uh, i think labor day right before i got ill
2: oh right man right before
1: i was diagnosed no um, yeah
2: that's
1: right so yeah that was uh and that yeah it was it definitely wasn't fun and um i live i live in rogers park now with my mother, my mother moved here from, uh, Wisconsin. She lived in Milwaukee. She lived in Milwaukee. Uh, she moved here to help, help me out basically because when I, when I first got out of the hospital, things were okay. And then things got really, really bad and I needed someone full-time to help. That's
0: so, that's so cool. She did that. Well, let's, Let's, um, unless there was anything else you wanted to share about Adrian today, let's, um, we can, we can still talk. We're going to talk about Adrian the whole time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear your story. So let's go to the beginning. I did, I did do a little bit of research on you. So I saw that you originally thought you had the flu. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I, I had, uh, I, I had flown to Florida I'd, mm-hmm. I'd gone to Florida to record vocals for my band's record, which we'd been working really hard on. I flew to Florida to work with this guy, Stuart Richardson. I flew out to do vocals with him and was there for, I think we did 12 songs, 13 songs in three days on vocals. And on the way back, I remember I was on the airplane and I could feel my jeans like, rubbing against something on my leg. And I remember I got home and I looked, and I, I, thought that I, <laughs> I thought that I had a pimple on my leg. Yeah. And I'm really close with my dermatologist. <laughs> <laughs> I had kind of told him what was going on. I went to see my primary care physician, and he lanced... One, uh, it turns out that I had a couple of these little, like, and they ended up kind of looking like boils almost, so they're bigger than a a zit. Yeah, and it was really strange. It was just, like, on my legs. So I went to my primary care physician after calling my dermatologist. My dermatologist lanced one of them and took, like, a culture Mm
2: -hmm.
1: within, I would say, about a week from then. Mm -hmm. I started coming down with what I thought was the flu. And...
0: So, like, chills?
1: Mad, mm. like, total, like, chills, night sweats, to the point where I was waking up completely soaked. Like, I'd have to change my clothes. I'd have to change my sheets. Mm. Fevers, throwing up, diarrhea. I mean, just, like, it was, Terrible. it was bad. Yeah. I called my dermatologist again his name's Meyer Horn Mm -hmm. he has a really great band called the young man in a hurry (laughs) that just put out a new record
0: all right we'll link it okay yeah show notes they're fantastic
1: um and he said you need to go see someone and he sent me to this a different primary care physician named Mm -hmm. uh Dr. Slotten and um, I remember the day before I had to go see Dr. Sutton, I told my mom, like, something's terribly wrong. Like maybe I should go to the hospital. Mm. My mom, like to the emergency room. And my mom was like, emergency room visits are super expensive. And I had pretty good <laughs> health insurance through work, but mm. it was Thanksgiving. I'd already missed work. It's a really busy season for us. Like Black Friday is huge. I had to call off. I was really sick. Didn't know what was going on. My mom came up, wouldn't take me to, at the time. You know, like she was just like, no, you, like you're going to see Dr. Slotten. So I went to see him. She came with me. He drew blood. And my mom went home after that doctor's appointment. And he called me the next morning and said, you need to go to the hospital right now you're either incredibly anemic, or you could have leukemia. I don't like you just need to go to the hospital right now. They're going to run some tests.
0: Oh, man. God.
1: Yeah. Um, Something I've kind of learned from other people that have had leukemia is this shared experience of um, kind of a I found that people that have had, that have cancers that are more like tumor based or that aren't blood based. Mm -hmm. A lot of times there's something else where they go in for a checkup and they're like, Hey, your counts are off. Mm -hmm. It could be this. So we want to run some more tests. So then they, you know, maybe they go with their partner or that with their family and they get the news as a group kind of. Yeah. And a lot of people that I've met in the leukemia community. Um, have learned about their illness when they were alone. So for me he told me to go to the hospital. I called my son's mother Mm -hmm. and asked if she could take care of my dog and she Mm -hmm. had a key to my place. And I got in an Uber and I literally was like, I like crawled (laughs) to the Uber. And I, uh, I went to the hospital and they took more vials of blood than I'd ever seen. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, I remember, like, it was literally like 20 vials of blood okay. and just being like, I, you know, I was like blown away and I was like, for the flu, <laughs> you know? And I, and at this point, <laughs> yeah. at this point he had said, you know, there was these things that it could be. So I, I knew that it wasn't just the flu. Right. An hour later, this doctor, and I remember she she was pregnant. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she had this really wonderfully curly hair. And mm-hmm. um her name was I can't remember her last name. I remember her first name was Jessica.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she said, So what have you been told? And I said, I This is what Dr. Slotten told me, and she said, well, you have what's called acute myeloid leukemia, uh, and you have a specific mutation. It's called a FLT3 mutation, and I I said, "Um, can you run those tests again? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thinking, yeah, (laughs) could you drop 20 more vials of blood? Um, I mean I make it me. I make it all the bleed time me. I keep making it so just yeah can you just take it until yeah. I don't have whatever that is <laughs> um,
0: me out. Put the new
1: which in, is basically <laughs> right um and she was like yeah it's not it's these aren't those kind of tests like mm. this is what you have um and I uh I think I had a couple moments of and I, I don't remember specifically, it could have been 10 minutes, it could have been half an hour of kind of like, mm. thinking about it. And then I started yeah. crying. Um, and I felt really alone. Mm. Um, I had gone through the breakup with my son's mother. Um, yeah, And then I had gone through a pretty another breakup that had been really really tough um Mm. it had been a really emotionally intimate relationship and Mm. then to have that end after kind of you know as you may know introducing people into Mm -hmm. your life when you have children can be a really kind of yeah (laughs) yeah so so when those things don't work there's this extra kind of like, did I do the right thing? Did I? So I I just, I remember again, like feeling really alone in my, Mm -hmm. in this discovery. Mm -hmm. Um, and only imagine there's there, while there's no solace necessarily in knowing that other people have felt that, um, I think that there is a little bit of uh, now after talking with other people that have been diagnosed with leukemia, just kind of out of the blue, um, knowing that other people can, can can kind of connect with that loneliness, yeah. the loneliness of that kind of discovery. Um, it does help a little bit. It does provide you with a little bit of kind of, it centers you a little bit. Like you're not the only one who kind of, yeah. felt that loneliness yeah yeah so it turns out How? that my immune system was failing mm. I was getting staph infections on my legs
2: oh okay
1: well, that's what was creating the boils and the flu-like symptoms were the leukemia and by the time I got in there I so the the hospital I went to they said we we don't really have the means to cure you of this wow. and they so they sent me to Northwestern
2: mm-hmm.
1: and my doctor Jessica Altman she is like the leading she was essentially one of the leading doctors in the country wow. uh, for AML Wow, that worked out. Great. Yeah. She helped helped discover what they essentially used to cure me. She helped work on that.
0: You're at the hospital at Northwestern. How long before you felt any relief or, I mean, were you in this flu-like feeling? For how long?
1: It was at a point where they had to start. Chemotherapy as quickly as possible, Um, and because I was relatively young and healthy. um, I mean, I've never drank alcohol. I've never done drugs. Never smoked a cigarette. I've been vegan since I was nineteen. You know, like for all practical purposes, being um, being, uh, I just I never would have imagined that I would have been unhealthy in any way like this
0: yeah yeah but no one really does especially when you're healthy
1: like that yeah yeah but on the plus side they kind of were like well we can kind of brutalize you (laughs) to a certain extent like we're gonna go hard uh Mm -hmm. at this you know with the chemotherapy um so that started somewhat quickly within within a week i think and they kind of prepared me for it Mm -hmm. and the first round of chemotherapy, I literally thought, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, cool. I I had every expectation that it was going to be terrible. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that bad. You know, I, I felt really blessed to have had like a community, not only just like of musicians, but like family. Um, so the first round of chemo didn't work. <laughs> um, so it took me down to like, let's just say that you know th- there's a hundred percent. It took me all the way down, but there was still like five percent of my blood like mm-hmm. was still actively you know kind of for five percent of like whatever you know like
2: mm-hmm. I have blood to count
1: yeah had to it had to go down another five percent so they increased they went from giving me let's say like giving me 20 milligrams a day
2: mm-hmm.
1: um I no I think it was it was 200 milligrams a day to six thousand.
0: Dear God. Okay.
1: To drop that last five percent. And that was brutal. What
0: happened? So it was everybody um, sees on TV that like you throw up and all this stuff. Like what what were your symptoms from chemo?
1: I remember I remember uh shitting my pants in the bed. Can I swear on here? You oh yes okay I,
0: oh I, yes
1: <laughs> i I have the hospital beds, which um is i guess doesn't uh change the fact that i shit in it um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and so I got up to take a shower, and I was in the shower, and I started uh throwing up and shitting, like I oh, just had God. like. I was having diarrhea and I was throwing up and I remember like crying and just like, I felt so out of control. Like, I remember feeling like I don't even feel like a human anymore. Like I felt like an alien. I felt so like (laughs) it, it, that, that was so that, that was, it was really brutal. And, And it just, a lot of it was just because like, I think there's so many aspects of my life that I had uh, um, exerted control over,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, talking about like being straight edge and being vegan, you know, those are like Mm -hmm. really specific choices.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I had, I had no control.
2: Yeah.
1: I couldn't even control what my body was doing. And it was Mm -hmm. really, really difficult for me. Yeah.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that because, I mean, you went from – it was like so sudden like to go from fully functioning human being to like shitting and puking and in the shower without being able to control yourself. (laughs) Like what did that do to your sense of identity? Like I know – like mine I feel like is a lot less drastic than cancer, but like I know for me, like I went through a very long time of just trying to figure out who I was with pain. So like I'm just curious. What were your thoughts as you were going through
1: all of that? As I far felt, as we were, I felt really, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I had recently, uh, you know, not not too long prior to that, I had my son's mother and I had split up, and so I I had started some kind of legal proceedings prior to my being diagnosed, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and. I was basically having to take care of the legal stuff from my hospital room, oh my god, and undergoing chemotherapy, and I and and on top of that, I was I was under quarantine because I had no immune system. So on this floor, on there, there's stem cell floors at Northwestern. no one under eighteen is allowed, so I couldn't see my son at all. God, um, for how long? We Facetimed off and on until I had an immune system, okay. which was a couple months. And I, I remember, like I remember actually posting on Facebook, like, please send me the saddest songs that you have. Like, I just wanted to cry so much and I and having gone through these kind of like these breakups and then being separated from my son and also kind of the numbness of of kind of like of of being diagnosed like all of it felt so my baseline was very much just how do you I, I didn't know I didn't know how to reconcile with that. No. Um, I knew that, I knew that I wanted to live for my son. Um, but I didn't know what that looked like or what that would mean. I never really thought about, I don't, at that stage, I never thought really about dying. Um, I really, you know, I, uh, that never entered my mind. But there was definitely a period of just kind of not feeling human. Um, and as I'd mentioned before, me and your brother, like we both, um, and I'm sure, I, I don't know what Jared's hair is like now, um, mm. but we both had really amazing hair.
2: Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, I kind of thought <clears throat> it's going to fall out anyways, I'll shave it, which I'd shaved my head before. Um, So I did that really early on. Um, And I started to kind of feel, you know, like, like a, a, it it really makes you feel kind of like a different person, you know, like I remember being Mm -hmm. in the shower and like chest hair pubic hair, all, all your hair falls. Like you look like a naked mole rat, basically. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah
1: um that was (laughs) it was very strange yeah um yeah so all of those things you know kind of like not being in control of your body you know Mm -hmm. not being like suddenly these things that for many people you kind of identify with yeah like or you kind of like create your identity with they kind of go away so yeah yeah
0: Yeah. so So when um you said you felt like you weren't human when was the first time you felt human again. Have you gotten to that point?
1: Um, I think now I kind of feel that way, maybe a little bit, but it's at least, no, I shouldn't say that for me. It's still a struggle. I mean, my hair still hasn't grown back. It's been two years now. It's still kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, like, you know, it's, it takes a long time. And, and my, Treatment wasn't as simple as it orig- as I originally thought it would be, so
0: so you did stem cell treatment how long like what was, what was involved with that
1: essentially the the chemotherapy had worked okay um so then I was just waiting for them to find a donor and um uh, I think I got out it was in november twenty ninth I got out sometime in that like mid february
0: it's a long time yeah
1: yeah and i had i think i got like 3 weeks out of the hospital and they found a donor and they brought me back in and i had to do another round of chemotherapy oh my god um and then uh they did the stem cell transplant and that in between time, uh, between the stem cell transplant and the chemotherapy was honestly the last time that I felt, like I, re- I remember, I, I was kind of tired. I hadn't, like I'd lost about, um, I'd lost about 50 pounds. Wow. um I'd shaved my I'd shaved my head but I still had like I kind of just looked like a shaved head yeah um and uh I remember I took my son one day I like got in my car and I we drove out to um Waterfall Glen which is just like maybe 30 minutes outside of Chicago it's like these trails mm-hmm. there's a waterfall mm-hmm. at the end of one of them and You know, kids can kind of—it's not like a giant waterfall. You know, it's relatively small, but you can kind of play to them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's really beautiful, and I—you know—remember, I have some pictures from that day. Uh, of me and Cosmo, and that—that in that like, kind of the halcyon of that day. There was, you know, and kind of like I remember that day so vividly because I just remember kind of being like. This is good, you know, like I felt like, you know, I was with my son and it was summer kind of, you know, it was warm.
2: Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. Um, And then
0: did you, when you went back for the stem cell treatment, were you back to being sick again then?
1: Kind of. My nails started to fall out. Oh God. My hair fell out my nails fell out, mm. you know, your body kind of shuts down. And says like, this is important. Um, you know, maintaining all of this stuff inside yeah. is important. Growing nails, growing hair, doesn't matter. <laughs> like yeah. I didn't have to shave like but <laughs> my hair.
2: Yeah.
1: My hair was gone. Um, my na- like, I just like my nails just kind of hung on for a little bit, and then just fell out. And I remember kind of like setting up these milestones in my head: of my nails grow back, I'm going to feel normal again, you know, or when my hair grows back, I'm going to feel normal again. It didn't really happen. <laughs> you yeah, know, like nails grew back, I still was tired all the time. Um they cured my me of my leukemia you know like i got the stem cell transplant i my donor was from uh germany a 25 year old woman from germany wow um that is kept um anonymous for two years Mm -hmm. um actually uh i celebrate the stem cell uh two years since my stem cell, uh, it was March 21st.
0: Congratulations, Thanks. that's awesome.
1: They kind of say it's your second birthday. Um, so, and it's, since it's been two years, I can now petition to get to know that person if they're interested. We've both written each other a letter, but mm. they like white out any kind of information that might be revealing to as who you <laughs> are, to who, like who the okay. other person is.
0: So, oh man, that, that would be such a beautiful meeting.
1: Yeah. She sent me a crystal, which I keep by my bed, which is really, I think it's really cool. Um,
0: that is so neat. Yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah. Me too.
0: So, I guess I have a, I, a question for you it would be I would imagine that going, like you just mentioned second birthday, like I would imagine going through, the process of having cancer and seeing everything, like just having your life completely flipped, like that you would learn some things. So sure. if you could like go back and talk to pre-cancer Adrian and give him some advice or maybe advice to any of us who haven't gone through that. What would you say? Is there anything that you would do differently? How would you live differently? No, no, anything.
1: Um, I think for me the biggest the biggest lesson I learned was uh, one of submission, and I don't mm. mean that in a negative way at all. But I yeah. I mean that uh, like submission to the process,
2: mm.
1: uh, submitting kind of to the the flow. You know, like mm. th- there's that there's. Uh, you know people always reference you know like the tree stands really strong but if it doesn't bend with the wind it breaks whereas the reeds you know like they go Mm -hmm. with the flow so they don't break and there were times in the hospital where i don't come from a background of uh faith Uh you know i'm i would say i'm a humanist Mm -hmm. um with an interest in theology but definitely you know have more atheistic leanings uh, mm-hmm. I I had a difficult time at times accepting people's offerings of prayer or mm-hmm. um, talking to people of great faith uh, mm-hmm. who you know said like God will get you through this And I remember thinking like, no, my doctors will get me through this, you know, like, (laughs) pray for them. (laughs) They're the ones that are going to make, make this uh, work, you know, Um, regardless of people's words, like any kind of positive attention was Mm -hmm. a blessing in its way, you know, like, yeah, I I really had to, in my head, Mm -hmm. convert those those prayers and whatever they were to just like I had every time somebody said that to me instead of kind of bristling i I had to say like there's someone out there who's who's thinking of me in a positive way and just wants what's best for me. Um, I also struggled a lot with people's kindness and feeling. Like I didn't know how to repay anyone for anything. Um, Like how do you do that? So many people, people I hadn't seen since high school. I remember someone, she's a school teacher and she, uh, she had everyone in her class, like 30 kids each wrote me a letter. like that was for that day that was what they did
2: oh
0: so sweet yeah
1: and i just remember thinking like how do i even i i i i felt kind of crushed by that kindness and and i didn't know how i would ever ever repay anyone um and then someone said you don't understand (laughs) This is everyone repaying you. Um,
2: oh, that's so and that good! Was really,
1: <laughs> for me, that that was really moving. Um, you know, and they kind of went deeper. They said, you know, like every time someone said, "Hey, can you help me move?" and you said, "Yeah," or you know, like you hung out and made dinner with someone, or you know, like someone called you up and said, I'm having a tough day. And you talk to them or, you know, all of those things were basically like, you know, now people are returning that favor in whatever way they can. And to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. people, most people somehow want to feel like they're helping in some way, Mm -hmm. like if they know you, Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily something super specific, but if they know you and they know that you're hurting, they want to help you. Mm -hmm. Um and sometimes that's you know, five bucks on a GoFundMe. Sometimes that's you know, a a meal from Grubhub. Sometimes that's coming and sitting and talking to you about you know, my friend Eli would come and sit and talk to me. Just we just talk about movies and music um and i i was really lucky to happen to get cancer near christmas (laughs) and so a lot of my friends from california and from all over the world came back to the midwest to see their families and i got to see Mm -hmm. people i hadn't seen in years um and that was really really a blessing too just to kind of reconnect with people yeah so
0: so those accept that
1: yeah submit to it like it it really Mm -hmm. is like it really is submission because it's really easy to kind of be like i'm gonna be strong
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Uh, especially oh sorry you go
0: i was just gonna say that's what like you would like when you when you're sick or whatever like you feel like you have to be strong to get through it, you know. And when you're a parent, like that's, yeah,
1: yeah. Like all of those things, you lean into it, and you're like, "Well, if I can't be strong during this, then what am I?" You know, yeah. y- they stri- you you kind right. of all of these things get stripped away from you, to the yeah. extent that you're like, "Well, if I'm not going to be strong, then what what else am I going to do?" Right. Um, and being a uh, pliant, <laughs> you know, yeah. or being uh, kind of, again, like submitting to it is in its own ways is, a, is, a, is really strength. It's there's, there's a yeah. strength in that um, mm-hmm. and learning That's how to convert people's Learning how to understand people's desire to be of to be helpful and also to be to be supportive in whatever way makes sense to them
2: mm-hmm.
1: like learning to accept that is yeah. uh, is a really great is a huge gift and if you can do that at least for me um I found that I was a lot happier, and to be honest, like that entire process—the the process of getting leukemia, getting a stem cell transplant, and then getting—you uh, know—being uh, in remission—yeah—was um, really, um, yeah. I mean, that 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 process was—I I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> It was
0: like, yeah, no, I love that. So like if you were to go back to pre Adrian, pre-cancer Adrian, it would be stop fighting so hard. Yeah. And just let it happen. Like let
1: Yeah, but I also say like to be honest, like I wasn't that I was pretty happy in a weird way. It was really hard. It was really hard to get cancer, to feel like I was losing my son. To yeah. feel alone in a very um, in a very specific emotional way. Yeah, I had family and I had friends, um, but mm-hmm. there was another layer of loneliness that came from being from having lost some really deep emotional and very physical, you know, connections to people mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I wasn't able to necessarily feel. Completely connected with again um that was really tough um mm-hmm. there like people i think humans respond very like deeply to not only emotional uh like emotional assistance but like mm-hmm. the physicality of things Warm. like when you're as your body's changing you're losing <laughs> you know. 50 pounds, your like body is changing, your hair is changing. It, it can be really mm. easy to like feel like no one wants to touch you. Mm. You kind of don't know if you want you want people to touch, touch you, that. but you yeah. really, really wish that someone would touch you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And not like and not like your doctor and nurses touch you.
0: right not like getting jabbed
1: with needles throughout the day right you know
0: good touch good touch (laughs) Not bad touch
1: yeah (laughs) and then suddenly it was all over and I was out and I didn't have nails or hair and the on the opposite side of um sorry are you still there on the opposite side of the stem cell transplant is Mm -hmm. the possibility of what they call graft versus host disease okay which is exactly how it sounds so anytime that you get a um, a transplant of some sort there's a possibility of rejection Um, and that for people who have leukemia and get a stem cell transplant, because it's in your blood, your blood is going through every organ of your body.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So that can affect anything. I had started to get somewhat, you know, I'd met people, my friend Mm -hmm. Sarah um, had had leukemia, the same kind of leukemia, Um, AML, specifically didn't have the FLT3 um, protein Mm -hmm. anomaly that I did, but had a m l also and she uh, we became friends uh i I had connected with Immerman Angels, which is a cancer support group here I'd known mm-hmm. Johnny Immerman just kind of socially for a long time. He was a cancer survivor, and him and I became really you know like we'd see each other out and he he I, at at one point I was working at whole foods and He'd come in and get huge salads, and we'd just like talk about stuff. And we had mutual friends, and he has this amazing cancer support, like one on one cancer support group called Immerman Angels. Um, my doctor, my oncologist, uh, Jessica Altman, was close with him. In fact, she called him when I said like, I know Johnny Emmerman, she called him and he came to see me, which was so amazing. Um, just because he's just like this big, bright light of <laughs> like amazingness all the time. Like he's just one of the most positive people that you'll ever meet. Um,
2: and yeah, I, you know,
1: I, um, I kind of knew from talking to other people um like my my the person I met through Emerman Angels was this guy paul, that GVHD could be really frustrating, so my friend Sarah had um GVHD of the skin predominantly just itches and you know um
2: I didn't realize until
1: I couldn't walk across the room anymore that um, it had attacked my lungs. So I had, my doctors had set up a pulmonary, my oncologist Olga Frankfurt at Northwestern had set up a pulmonary appointment for me. I was supposed to go in and you know you do all these breathing tests it happened to be voting day <laughs> uh and my polling place this was <laughs> 2018 so it was mm-hmm. like the midterm prim- sure midterm yeah, yeah mm-hmm. midterms and um i literally were craw- like i i basically i shouldn't say literally i basically it felt like i was literally crawling a block and a half to my polling place and i got there and i had to sit down i couldn't breathe
2: i couldn't catch my breath
1: i had to sit down and i was the entire time i was gasping i was kind of like (laughs) And I walked a block and a half. I was so confused. And I was like, it's okay. I'm going to this pulmonary test. I voted. I asked <laughs> them for a, um, a handicap, like a chair. And they were like, it's for handicapped yeah. people only. And I was like,
0: um, yeah. Ta-da! <laughs> like, <laughs> Look, at uh, me. hey,
1: like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I voted. I walked outside and sat on a bench and I called an Uber, I went to the hospital. I was able to do a small portion of the pulmonary test and I just said, I can't do this. And I remember not quite understanding. And to be honest, the woman that was the tech that was working with me was like, why did you come today? And I was like, they set it up. I don't know, like <laughs> yeah. Um, I had to pick up some medication. I went down to, Walgreens, which is in Northwestern. Mm -hmm. And I was waiting in line and I got up, like I was next in line, and I walked up to the um, counter and I could Mm -hmm. kind of hear this ringing in my ears. And then everything just kind of went and I sat straight down on my butt and tipped over and passed out.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Um, and when I woke up, I was on the floor and they had some people there, uh, some, they had called the, you know, emergency, they had called like some people from the hospital oh. and they wheeled me across, they wheeled me across the street, basically to another building in Northwestern and admitted me and my lungs were failing.
2: Oh my God.
1: So the... Oh. I had had I had graft versus host of the lungs um, the eyes so the lower lids of our eyes produce a yeah. oil every time we blink
2: yeah
1: and mine yeah. were starting to calcify so every time I blink it doesn't it doesn't actually lubricate my eye mm. and I have graft versus host of the mouth which just means I have to drink water all the time because my mouth doesn't um, produce enough saliva. Um,
0: so annoying. Yeah. That's so annoying. I'm so annoyed for you. <laughs> like,
1: Yeah. I'm sure there's some ASMR people out there right now that are listening to my mouth just like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're getting really soothed right. by it they're either getting really
1: soothed or they're the exact opposite whatever the opposite of asmr it, it oh. is <laughs> um, like, they're just, it just like, makes oh.
0: you hyper in a mile
1: they're incredibly <laughs> grossed out by this um, <laughs> but yeah my lungs started to fail and at that point uh i lost another 20 pounds so overall i lost about 70 pounds Good Lord. Um you know, after you have a child, well <laughs> uh after uh you <laughs> become a parent, that's better. <laughs> Got it. I want to clarify, it. I didn't have a child. <laughs> um my uh, my my uh my son's mother definitely had Cosmo um yes. while I watched. <laughs> um
0: <laughs> you were there um, you, you-
1: played a role. I yeah. Um but you know, like when you become a parent, you kind of like uh, when I prior to getting diagnosed, I think I'd gotten up to about 190. I'd always been like mm-hmm. 175, 180. So I put on some weight after my son was born. Yeah. I definitely was like, you know, like when his Damn mom bad. was pregnant, I was eating the rest of her food. You know, I was eating the rest of Cosmo's that food, happens. you know. They like, say that
0: happened. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, but I, when my lungs started to fail, my muscles all started to atrophy. Um, and I got down to 120 pounds. Crazy. Um, and it got to the point where after they admitted me, like I rapidly started to decline. To the point where I had to be on oxygen full time. Um, for how long? How long just, uh, I was on oxygen for three or four months.
0: Good God, Adrian. Yeah. We've um, been through it, man.
1: It was it was intense. I I could barely breathe. Um, I couldn't move. I had to. Uh, I mean, I had to have them pull. Like I had to have them set urinals next to my bed, because I couldn't. Like I couldn't. I was not physically strong enough
2: Mm -hmm.
1: to go to the bathroom. God. Um, And uh, that the, the the idea of not being able to sing, of barely being able to talk. I mean, my mouth was dry. My eyes were burning constantly, and I couldn't breathe on my own. Um, and I just thought, I thought my life was on its way to being normal, and it was so far from normal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: And literally, everyone I had talked to had been like, "Oh yeah, I got GVHD of this, or I got GVHD of that," and you know, but I'm back to work now. Part-time, back to work. Um, it's hard, but you know I managed, you know. And for me, it was like, I remember <laughs> this very stern pulmonologist coming in with this very like thick uh, Eastern European accent and telling me about lung transplants. And since I hadn't had my stem cell long enough, I wasn't technically eligible. Because if someone someone who, someone who has the possibility of surviving another five to 10 years with a lung transplant is, is by far is going to get a lung transplant. But within the first two years of your stem cell transplant, they are kind of like, so you, ha- you cannot, you're not eligible for a lung transplant until after that.
0: Because they're not sure if you're going to make it. Right. God.
1: Well, so this very, like, you know, like, this very, like, kind of stern man is telling you that. And on top of it, he's like, and just so you know, it's not a lifesaver. It's a life extender. So, if you get to the point and you need to seriously consider that you might get to the point where you need a lung transplant, if you get to that point, it's probably going to give you another five years. Um, a small percentage of people, ten percent of people live longer than that uh and I just remember being like, like everything wow. that I had kind of all of the discovery and all of the, all of everything that I had learned, I thought I had learned going through the process of um, chemotherapy and getting my stem cell transplant. Like it just felt gone. I couldn't pick up my son. I couldn't breathe on my own. Like I felt like I had been Given this gift of like this, this, of not having cancer anymore. But in return, no. like, it took away my strength. It took away my, my voice. It, like, it was like, it took away like everything else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was. So at Northwestern, they have the stem cell floors. Yeah, It's 15 and 16 in Prentice. Mm -hmm. And everybody, like, the nurses that work that are trained specifically in stem cell and taking care of people who are getting stem cells. People who are neutropenic, who have no immune system. People that are, you know, immunocompromised. And I am, you know, kind of as this... Podcast will probably end up exhibiting somewhat of a talker um, (laughs) and somewhat (laughs) gregarious.
0: I like it. Um, I like it. We're here to talk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I definitely had been someone that like would talk to everybody and would, you know, like when I was going through chemo, like I'd have shit days and then I'd be like, that's okay. Like, here's a picture of my son, and uh, you know, like, I'd be blasting music or you know, whatever. You know, like, yeah, I definitely was trying to be really happy. And when that started, I remember one nurse saying, "Like, you seem like a totally different person." Like, it was really dark, and yeah. and for the first time, I thought. I can, I can, I can go like,
2: mm.
1: I don't need, I I don't, I don't need this.
2: Mm.
1: I need, I, I, I want, I want my son to, I, I want to live for my son, but I don't want to live for myself at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that was really, ri- that was going through that was so, so hard.
0: When did you pull out of that? Have you? Uh,
1: I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, yeah. My lungs are at about 47% of what they used to be.
2: Mm.
1: So I have chronic GVHG of the lungs. Um, <sighs> and then uh, additionally, I have what's uh, really um, hilariously named... Uh, or shortened to BOOP, (laughs) Um, B-O-O-P. So BOOP um, is, uh, and I wrote it down because I always forget the easiest word in this to um, memorize. It's bronchiolitis, obliterans, organizing pneumonia. I always forget organizing.
2: Good God. Um,
1: So yeah, it's called BOOP. It's an inflammation of the small air tubes and the air sacs in your lungs. Mm -hmm. So the top lobes of my lungs have scarred. Mm -hmm. Um, And in addition, every time I breathe in, I take in oxygen. But like when you breathe out, you breathe out a variety of gases. mine i can't expel them because they're being blocked by this Mm -hmm. by tissue yeah okay um which means that like the last pulmonary test i did when i would most people at six seconds have expelled all gases that like this isn't like burping or farting it's like you know <laughs> it's you know it's like there's a variety of you know these this these gases that we ex- we breathe out and you would have expelled all of them at six seconds and at 16 seconds i'm still pushing these out so oh, man it's blocking them. So every breath I take brings oxygen in, but then the next breath doesn't have as much space to fill the lungs up again because I'm still expelling those gases. So it's always, I'm always playing catch up.
2: Oh God,
0: that's miserable. I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) So my friend Elia, um, was recently diagnosed with COVID-19. Him and his wife, uh, they actually were interviewed on This American Life last week. Um, And Elia mentioned, they call it uh, crushed glass. So when they do scans of my lungs, it looks like crushed glass, it's kind of like this splotchy whiteness almost, and that's scarring of the lungs. And that's essentially what they're seeing when people are diagnosed with coronavirus also. They're seeing this crushed glass in their lungs, which is making it really difficult uh, for people to breathe. And this is why people are being put on ventilators, because they need help getting oxygen in and out. Um, On a side note, today, uh, someone who I think is really amazing, uh, the singer from Fountains of Wayne, Adam Schlesinger um, died of coronavirus.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, um, somebody who I really respect as a songwriter um, was diagnosed last week. He's 52 years old, and like I saw them when I was 18, open up for the Smashing Pumpkins, their first album, and like I've been a fan ever since. And uh, I kind of was uh, so, really, really sad to hear that today that he had passed away. Yeah,
0: that's that's terrible. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Thank you so much for listening today friend. I really hope that you found Adrian's story as inspiring as I did. If you'd like to find out more about Adrian or connect with him, you can find him over on Instagram at even thieves band. It's at E V E N T H I E V E S band. He would love to hear from you and remember If you are still interested in coaching, I have a link at the bottom of the show notes to do some chronic wellness coaching with you. Look into those options and for all of my listeners from here on out, because you are all near and dear to my heart, you will get 10% off if you state that you're a podcast listener. So thanks so much for listening friends and remember to live your life chronically well.